Welcome to this season two episode of the Me Sweet podcast. I'm your host, Donna Peters. I am a career coach for people who want a life, who want to live with what I call a Me Sweet mindset. Just like leaders in the C suite, we need to do three things well in our own personal lives. First, letting our personal core values guide our decisions. Second, keeping our day to day life running smoothly. And third, staying fresh and relevant for the future that we wish to have. Here, our guests balance the aspirational with the practical by sharing tips on what we can start doing differently on Monday to lead our lives with a me-sweet mindset. The number one thing I've learned is that people are amazing if you give them a chance to tell their unique stories. So let's get in there. On today's episode of The Me Suite, we are interviewing Dr. Doug Levine. And for the purposes of this episode, I am going to call him Dr. Doug. He has a 40-year career in healthcare as a physician scientist and gastroenterologist. And through that career, he's cared for patients directly. He's been a teacher, a researcher, and a consultant. He has over 200 publications in peer-reviewed journals. And for those of you who do not know the peer-reviewed journal world, that is a big, big number. He is currently the lead author on a new piece that's under development around healthcare reform in the U.S. And and I know we all have an awful lot of thoughts about that topic uh, living at this time in 2020. He's been married almost 40 years. And I want to tell a little bit of a personal story and make my introduction a little bit longer than I typically do. I had a chance to work with Doug about 15 years ago when he was a client and I was a consultant. And because he was a client, I was always in my suit and I would always come with red, yellow, green status reports and all stuffy and formal and professional, always on time, always had an agenda. And then I had a life event. And my father had been diagnosed with esophageal cancer and had been given about a 10% chance of living out the year. And I don't know how this happened, but I thought to myself, I have to call Dr. Doug because I knew he was a gastroenterologist, although I didn't know him very well yet. He was pretty a pretty new client. And I called him and left a message and asked, it was the time when people actually left voicemail, and I asked if I could speak with him over the next few days. And he called me back that night at about 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And it's just who he was. He is uh, calm and peaceful and full of wisdom. And just like we have to do in the business world, ask the right questions, Doug asks the right questions. And there's always been a a really special place in my heart for Dr. Doug um, after I had this very uh, human experience that he helped me through. And I'm really thrilled to have him here today. And if that's not amazing enough... Dr. Doug, the gastroenterologist, really does have some guts. He is now a published fiction writer. He has been writing short stories and poems and fiction. He writes under the pseudonym Abraham Simon. I don't know why you would tell people your pseudonym. We'll have to talk about that. Uh, But I am thrilled today to have a fireside chat with Doug about his writing career and his wisdom. Welcome, Dr. Doug. Hi there. Thanks, Donna. You're too kind. Well, you've earned it, and I want to start with core values. I'm, I'm going to get some chill bumps from learning what yours are. Sure. So I've identified three. The first is golden rule. Uh, do unto others what you would have them do unto yourself. The way this influences uh, what I do is that uh, it makes me want to take 
the me out of the picture, literally take myself out of the picture mm-hmm. and focus on the other person. And um, that's in either conversations or joint activities, et cetera. Uh, a second value has been to um, to try to do what's right and be in service. I, again, I guess what's really core for me is trying to take myself out of the picture because then I feel like I can be more objective in determining really what is right uh, to inform my actions. Mm. And um, generally, I just feel happier when I'm not focusing on uh, my own inadequacies <laughs> and <laughs> work with other people. Uh, third, if I'm to do anything, I want to try to do it as well as I can. And again, by taking myself out of the picture, I feel like I could be more objective and identifying standards for an activity. And then I try to do my best according to what those standards are. Those are wonderful, and they really do embody you to me, although we're going to have a podcast that is putting attention on you with you in the picture. So I hope you don't mind where we're headed. Um, I'll try to be objective. (laughs) I wanted to start with your writing. I'm so intrigued about how you went from the scientific world to the fiction world. Talk to us about your writing and, and how you've been building that muscle. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, it ended up being a natural thing to do um, only because I'd done so much writing professionally. And that, that includes an academic career for uh, at least peer journal articles you mentioned, but also uh, working as a uh, an executive in the pharma industry. There's a lot of uh, email communication preparation for presentations, et cetera. I guess what's true about all this is that you're always trying to tell a story. Mm. And and I realized I liked writing and wanted to have the opportunity to, I guess, write in a less constrained manner. Obviously, when you do scientific writing, you should be constrained to the facts or opinions about them, whereas if you get into fiction, the sky's the limit. So that, that's what attracted me to uh, taking this on. Really don't have credentials to speak of with regard to creative writing. So it's been a um, a marvelous adventure and experimentation and advice seeking from others that know a bit more about, about, about doing this. Can you talk about what parts of your work have been published so far? So the first major thing that I was working on is a novel. And you know, right now I'm in the process of going through the process of trying to identify uh, agents and hopefully I will get that published. But mm-hmm. Um, by luck, you know, as I had time at the end of last year, I joined a local writers group. It's the Association of Rhode Island Authors, primarily as an avenue for networking and learning more about uh, writing. Unfortunately, just when my membership started, within a couple of months, COVID struck, so uh, mm. the group couldn't have meetings. But unbeknownst to me, uh, what they do is they organize an annual anthology, you know, uh, selected works of uh, poetry, prose, fiction, nonfiction, and they invite their membership to submit. So when I learned of this, I figured, well, heck, this is an opportunity just to try my hand at a short story. Um, and I was fortunate enough to um, have it selected for publication. So I guess someone thinks that it's worth reading. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Is this published under Abraham Simon also? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Um, the um, that was an interesting conversation I had with the uh, the editor, but they they accepted the pseudonym. And the way they do this is they, they since you had to be a member of the association to be eligible for submitting, 
Mm-hmm. A piece you had to submit it under your own name. So the biographies ah. listed at the back list my real name and identify the pseudonym. I understand. And so, what is the strategy behind having the pseudonym? Is is it more because you're getting in the mind of someone else and kind of going to a different place rather than being anonymous? Yeah, it's less about being anonymous. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if you look this up, there are different advantages if you publish it under your own name or a pseudonym, but that wasn't what drove me. Uh-huh. Uh, the first one was it was primarily practical. I, I wanted to be able to separate yes. uh, years of professional writing under you know the Doug Levine name and have the fictional stuff under a different name, even though it would be connected with me. The, the other thing, just Abraham Simon happens to be my religious name. Ah, I was going to ask. Yeah, in the Jewish religion, one is given a Hebrew name. Okay. So this is the anglicized version. So to some degree, I'm just writing under my other self. Yeah, oh, I love that. I was going to ask if there was some symbolism behind the name, and boy, is there. That's great. It's me. It's still me. (laughs) (laughs) it's me. So what can you tell us about the topic of the short story that you had published? Sure. So the theme that was selected for this year's anthology by Aria was hope. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that they selected the theme early in the fall of 2019, well before um, there was any appreciation of the COVID epidemic. So mm-hmm. if one were to read the forward by the editor, uh, she goes on at length about how this you know, was done. And you know, perhaps it was fortuitous because people are looking for hopeful literature. Mm-hmm. So Every author dealt with hope in a different way. I wrote a story that was connected a bit with my own life and dealing with an elder parent and some of the tragedies of um, uh, dementia, if you will. Mm-hmm. But but in the end, uh, write about the hopefulness for you know what there there may be for you know this, this parent. I found that when I write, I have to be connected emotionally to mm-hmm. the topic uh, rather than intellectually. And um, mm-hmm. for any of us that have you know, dealt with a dementing illness with a family member or decline of parents, uh, clearly that is a kind of an emotional flare. So I, I basically tapped into that to select the subject matter for the story. So, Doug, you mentioned the topic of the story that got published is hope. And you and I have talked about the why, how, and what of hope. Can you share that perspective with the listeners? Sure, I'd be happy to. I guess there's always a why, how, what to everything. but. Um, you know, the first question as I thought about, you know, the topic of hope is why have hope? And for me, uh, it, it it pairs with my optimism and I suppose a, uh, a linkage that I have with possibilities in everything that I do. Um, there are always possibilities and that's anchored in a few things. You know, number one, things always change around us in our lives in the world. Um, we may not like that and we may prefer the things just stay the same, but that's not the way things work. On top of that, we, I, well, maybe some people can, I know that I can't, but generally we can't predict the future, but the future is malleable. And that, that gets to, I guess, the possibilities piece and the proactive pieces that each of us can choose to try to influence the future. You know, so that, that's why I say that, um, my feeling about the why for hope is paired with trying to be proactive about influencing change. Mm. So that's the why. So for the how, I guess this gets really deep into how we motivate ourselves. Uh, for me, it's anchored in spiritual and actually a literature that addresses 
uh, how walking through the motions or just doing a behavior, you know, with an aim that it may do something good, even if your heart's not in it, uh-huh. the more you do it, you actually develop a rationale and a belief that this is sort of the right thing to do. So uh, I have found that in a number of circumstances, I had to force myself to do things. Um, uh-huh. Going back to some of the shared time we had, you know, with the client uh, relationship was that as I um, had different job roles, I sort of knew that uh, a new role was good for me if I felt somewhat anxious about it uh-huh. because I, I just wasn't confident. So I realized that I had a responsibility and I would just sort of force myself to do things. And whether it was the act of doing it, uh, the learning from it, et cetera, you know, confidence was built and a belief that one could succeed at doing that did, did, did come to pass over time. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I did want to talk about, you know, one of my core values is wanting to do what's right and being in service. And as you know, the audience knows, you introduced me. I've been a physician for a long, long time. And, you know, the, I was thinking about was, did I have this core value before I decided to become a physician uh-huh. or, the, or the reverse? And what I, what I realized is that having gotten trained and then having a lot of uh, proctored clinical care, doing it on my own, there was a long run-in phase even after I was licensed of learning how to care for patients. And I think that doing that actually led me to really have this core value of being in service. So in many respects, it was the practice Mm. that led to the core value as opposed to the core value just being born out of the ether. And as I said, I think there's a literature that actually supports that type of experience for a lot of other people. I love you sharing that example because I do get that question a lot from listeners of, well, wait a minute, are these things that I was born with or do they change over time? Uh, Thank you for sharing your experience with it. We're plastic, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we respond to change. And, Mm -hmm. you know, part of what I'm considering hope is how you try to uh, stimulate, you know, change favorably. But I think that we can also activate different core values based on our experience. And some of that may be um, objective and you select it or it's it's just happenstance that you come into the life of someone else or a different experience and that stimulates you. Mm-hmm. As I said, there's a very interesting literature that talks about this. What about the what of hope? So the what, you know, ties to the practical and um, wanting to be proactive and mm-hmm. having had the benefit of um, a lot of leadership training, I, I, I have to say I had a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was not a born leader, but you know the benefit of that experience uh, I, I carry over into real life, which is just to uh, take advantage of uh, some basic leadership principles. You know, so one is to mm. you know be try to be strategic, creative. Uh, don't be afraid to be imaginative. You know, contemplate what's possible. Um, being collaborative. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. expressions two heads are better than one. You know, share what your concerns or your thoughts are with others. And, you know, in the end, what you do almost certainly be enhanced. And it's all really part of a learning curve. Um, I think everything in life offers the opportunity to be a student again, and that learning Mm -hmm. is continuous. I think we have to expect failures as part of the process, but but then just sort of start again. And I think it's easier if you just expect that failure will happen with different experiments. I think being self-aware and objective about your own capabilities, so you know where to uh, try to improve mm-hmm. and trying to be constructive and productive um, as you are proactive. And I guess this ties to, you know, I think most people really wanting to do uh, the right thing with other people in, in their lives. Yeah. I think you have more thoughtfulness 
in your big toe than I have in my entire body. (laughs) Well, I know you said you don't have a crystal ball, but how would you describe the hope that you have for how we end this cruel year of 2020? I mean, I think my hope would be that, you know, just based on the disastrous news of numbers of cases and fatalities and the types of health issues is that we would be recognizing of of everyone's vulnerability, which I would like to think just makes us kinder. Mm. You know, as a healthcare professional, that was just ingrained professionally, but I think broadly everybody can afford to be kind and thoughtful in that regard. Mm -hmm. What would you like to leave with the listeners for? doing differently on Monday. Yeah, yeah. You know, this was a lesson I learned myself only because it made me happier and I'd like to think it made me more productive and successful. Okay. Um, and you know, what I would advise people to try to do is is genuinely, you know, forgive the expression, lose your me. Okay. <laughs> lose yourself lose yourself. Uh-huh. You know, that I mean there've been any number of uh, catchphrases about leave your ego at the door, leave yourself at the door, but you know, I genuinely believe this and just to enlarge on this I would say that whether you engage with another person or a team of people or an activity, lose yourself and focus on that other entity. Mm. What's that sort of intangible energy or what they call a spark that Mm -hmm. happens when you collaboratively engage with somebody and new insight, a new idea, something evolves from that. So, you know, some may think that this is a fantasy or a fallacy, but um, my idea is that if you try to believe that and engage in that, Mm -hmm. I I think that I know for me, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm happier and I feel like I'm more productive and uh, the people that are engaging with me uh, feel like they benefit from that kind of interaction. And um, I would urge people to sort of experiment with that. Yeah. Is there anything that you're doing differently to have that type of lose yourself with us not being able to be physically with others? Do you find the physical separation makes this harder? Do you have tricks that you've had to employ? Well, yeah, and I think part of it is, um, you know, discipline. Uh-huh. As I said, you know, I, I I had a long road on leadership, and I suppose you continue to have a long road on self-improvement. You know, but I think that there's a discipline to this, right? You know, so when you're face-to-face with somebody, uh-huh. I mean, it's all the things that we've read. Don't be looking at your cell phone. Don't answer your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, try to restrict others coming into your office. Similarly, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, on the phone on a Zoom meeting, don't multitask. You know, yeah. be present, be there. Uh, otherwise, it's impossible to focus on that engagement dynamic and, um, you know, get that spark thing going. So, Dr. Doug, you mentioned in Lose Yourself how you are there for other people. And I want to thank you for having been there for me 15 years ago at at a time when I really needed your calm and peace and wisdom. I want to remind the listeners you could go out and search for the Association of Rhode Island Authors for this anthology that is around the topic of hope. If you would like to check out the fiction here from Dr. Doug or from the other authors and just thank you. It's very special to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Doug. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Subscribe to the podcast and give us five stars if you like what you're hearing. And learn more about the MeSuite career coaching and professional development at themesuite.com. It's the-me-suite.com. Suite is spelled like executive suite. This is Donna Peters, and I thank you for having me in your ear right now. 
find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. The Me Suite, a source of power for the life-minded. <laughs>